This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, August 12th. I'm Doug Blair. And I'm Virginia Allen. Bob Woodson has spent his career serving low-income communities across the nation. With the rise of critical race theory and the 1619 Project, Woodson formed 1776 Unites, a group of scholars dedicated to telling the whole story of America's past. From the groundbreaking work of 1776 Unites, Woodson has authored a new book, Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. Woodson joins the show today to explain why he wrote the book and the stories and facts within it that are so significant for this moment in history. And don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. And now, on to today's top news. The Senate has taken a big step towards passing Democrats' $3.5 trillion spending package. The Senate voted directly down party lines Wednesday to approve a blueprint of the massive package. The House is currently on summer recess but will return to D.C. early on August 23rd to begin review of the bill. Committees in the House and Senate will begin working on the details of the package when they return. So far, we know that the $3.5 trillion bill provides funding for a litany of leftist agenda items, such as climate change, free community college, and universal daycare. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said Monday that the bill would be paid for by making corporations and the wealthy finally pay their fair share. While all Democrats voted to advance the spending bill, Democrat Senators Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kristen Sinema of Arizona said they voted for the legislation in order to keep the process moving forward, but have expressed concerns over the large spending package. Senate Democrats will need the support of all their members to pass the $3.5 trillion bill under a budget process known as reconciliation that prevents Republicans from using the filibuster to block the bill. The vote to approve the blueprint of the spending package came after a series of quick amendment votes known as a voterama that began Tuesday afternoon. Many of the amendments to the spending package passed and failed right along party lines. A proposal to restrict federal funding for K-12 public schools that do not resume in-person classes failed with all GOP senators voting for it and all Democrats against A bill intended to create more energy independence in America also failed along party lines, with all Democrats voting against it. The Hyde Amendment, a piece of legislation that prevents the federal funding of abortions, was approved. All Republicans and Democrat Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia voted in favor of the Hyde Amendment. Senators voted on dozens of other amendments before finally casting their vote on the spending bill around 4 a.m. Wednesday morning. YouTube has suspended Senator Rand Paul from its platform for a week following a video released by the senator that claimed masks are ineffective against the coronavirus. On Tuesday, the company removed the video and issued a strike against Paul's channel for what it called, quote, medical misinformation. In a statement, YouTube said, quote, we removed content from Senator Paul's channel for including claims that masks are ineffective in preventing the contraction or transmission of COVID-19 in accordance with our COVID-19 medical misinformation policies. We apply our policies consistently across the platform, regardless of speaker or political views. 
This marks the second time in a month that YouTube has removed a video uploaded by Paul citing misinformation. Senator Paul released a statement criticizing YouTube for the suspension, writing, quote, I think this kind of censorship is very dangerous, incredibly anti-free speech, and truly anti-progress of science, which involves skepticism and argumentation to arrive at the truth. In another article released on Liberty Tree, a website run by Paul, the senator included a link to view the removed video on Rumble. Conflicts over mass policies in Florida continue to mount. After Florida Governor Ron DeSantis issued a ban on mass mandates, three Florida school districts announced they would still require their students to wear masks. The counties of Alachua, Broward, and Leon said they would still require their students to wear masks despite the governor's ban. So, earlier this week, Florida's Education Commissioner, Richard Corcoran, sent a letter to the three county boards informing them that he is launching an investigation to look into their non-compliance with the mass ban. Corcoran wrote in the letter, There is no room for error or leniency when it comes to ensuring compliance with policies that allow parents and guardians to make health and educational choices for their children. The Leon County School Board announced Tuesday that parents will be able to opt their child out of wearing a mask without giving a reason for doing so. But Alachua and Broward counties have yet to budge on their mandatory mask mandates. Governor Ron DeSantis Press Secretary Christina Pouchaw said Monday that paychecks could be suspended to the superintendent or school board members of the counties that refuse to allow kids to opt out of the mask mandate. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Bob Woodson about his new book, Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. Conservative women, conservative feminists, it's true, we do exist. I'm Virginia Allen, and every Thursday morning on Problematic Women, Lauren Evans and I sort through the news to bring you stories and interviews that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. That is, women whose views and opinions are often excluded or mocked by those on the so-called feminist left. We talk about everything from pop culture to policy and politics. Search for Problematic Women wherever you get your podcasts. Bob Woodson is the founder of the Woodson Center and the author of the new book, Red, White, and Black. Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. He joins me today to discuss his new book and his lifetime of service to America's struggling communities. Mr. Woodson, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, before we discuss the book, I want to chat about uh, the inspiration, really, for where this book is came from. One of the more recent initiatives of the Woodson Center is 1776 Unite, which was really established in response to the New York Times controversial 1619 project. Uh, So if you would, just tell us a little bit about 1776 Unites. Well, as a veteran of the civil rights movement uh, that I've spent all my life um, um, using the the values and, and virtues of uh, the founders of this country. I was outraged in in 2019 when the New York Times published 1619, uh, a book that tried to to revise history and define America's birth date as 1619 
when the first 20 African slaves arrived on our shores, and then they went on to conclude that as a consequence, America should be defined and everything should be viewed through a lens of racial uh, uh, animus or racial discrimination, and that all whites are victimizers and all blacks are victims. Well, I was outraged. And so uh, I assembled a group of of black scholars and, 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 and a cross-section of activists to respond to this outrage. Uh, and so we uh, published a series of essays to counter the argument being promoted by 1619, but we didn't want to engage in another round of gladiatorial debate. What we wanted to offer the public is an accurate, inspirational, and aspirational alternative narrative that will uh, show by examples that Black America has never been defined by oppression and America should not be defined by its birth defect of slavery. Hmm, powerful. Now, the, your new book, Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers, it is described uh, in a great sentence in, in the kind of Amazon review of the book as in indisputable corrective to the falsified version of black history presented by the 1619 Project radical activists and money-hungry diversity consultants. So explain, if you will, a, a little bit more about really the mission of the book and how 1776 Unites laid this uh, wonderful foundation for the book. Well, first of all, we think it's uh, what, what the Pulitzer Company did was take this false history and they have promoting it through our public school system. So children are being taught curriculum that America should be defined as an oppressive, racist society and blacks are America's perpetual victims and that our history is from plantation, I mean, from slave ships to plantations to ghettos to welfare. What we are doing is providing an alternative sets of, of curriculum. And so we took some stories from the past that there were 20 blacks who were born slaves who died millionaires. When we were denied access to hotels, we built our own, our own medical schools, 100 colleges throughout the country. So in these essays, we just chronicle all of the successes that blacks have achieved uh, we had the highest marriage rate between 1930 and 1940. These are important facts for for all people to know, to get an accurate understanding of America's past, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, and so we had 15,000 downloads of our curriculum in the first two weeks because Americans are eager to receive accurate and uplifting and inspirational account of how this rich nation has achieved all it has achieved. Mm. I think you're so right. People are so hungry to know the truth and to know uh, really the full picture of America's past. Obviously, we can't ignore America's past of slavery and segregation. Uh, but I think you all have done such a beautiful job through 1776 unites really uh, aiming to tell that that full story, and then that's translated so so beautifully in the book. As many of those essays are are now all just beautifully compiled 
in the book, Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. Uh, you mentioned some of those stories that you share in the book about African-Americans who have overcome against all odds. Would you mind just sharing maybe one or two of those stories that really touched you personally? Yes, one of, one of my favorites. I said America doesn't have a race problem. It has a grace problem. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so there are all kinds of examples, and I'll give you a couple of, of, of what I call radical grace in action. A man named Robert Smalls was built in Sumter, South Carolina, uh, a slave, and he found himself a one of six member a slave crews during the the war uh, of civil war. He found himself one of six members of a of, of a crew of a of a supply ship in Sumter, South Carolina. And so, when his master went uh, off on a Friday night to to dine, he commandeered the ship and picked up the families of his family and, and the other slave uh, crew members and put on the boss's hat and his coat and, and maneuvered past five southern garrisons and turned the ship over to the Union Navy. He was celebrated, and the result of that, Lincoln allowed blacks to fight in the Civil War. Mm. Um, after the war was over, Robert Smalls became a wealthy businessman. He also, during Reconstruction, served in the House of Representatives. He went back and purchased the plantation on which he was a slave. And because the wife and the children of the slave owner found themselves destitute, Robert Smalls took them into his house. And because she was delusional and never realized that slavery had ended, he permitted her to even sleep in the master bedroom. Mm -hmm. Robert Smalls is an example of radical grace in action. And, and, and so we, that's one celebrated uh, uh, a story. Another one, Biddy Mason, who was born 1818 uh, in Mississippi. Um, his, since her master was a Mormon, she walked 1,000 miles from Mississippi to Salt Lake City, attending the sheep and also delivering babies. And she had three of her own, one by the slave master. After a short while, he, they went to California where she became a free, because that's a free state. But Biddy Mason was a midwife. And for 10 years, she made $1.50 a day. And she saved her money, purchased land downtown Los Angeles, and built uh, homes. And as a result, she became a philanthropist, uh, and she was the founder of the AME Church. And when she died, she was worth about $5 million in today's dollars. Mm. Uh, there, there are other remarkable stories of resilience and perseverance in the presence of oppression. And so the book is filled with examples that only in, the, uh, in America, uh, with all of its flaws, could you find some examples of achieving against the odds. Mm, that's so wonderful. We are talking with Mr. Bob Woodson, author of the new book, Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. Mr. Woodson, I'm familiar with the term 
revisionists, those who you know essentially revise history in order to uh, further a, a specific narrative or an agenda. But I'm not too familiar with the term race hustlers. What do you mean by that? <laughs> what I mean by that, there are people uh, who profit off of promoting this fake, fake narrative, a false narrative that America is incurably racist and that racism is in its DNA. And in order to resolve that, companies are racing to hire uh, consultants who come in uh, to do racial audits. Uh, School systems are hiring people to do um, critical race theory training. Um, Universities are hiring as uh, uh, diversity counselors. Uh, Companies are are, uh, hiring people to come in and do racial um, training. Uh, you know, anti-racism. Uh, Abraham Kendi's book. He's he's making millions on selling books. Uh, Kananisi Coates. His race grievance books are required reading at universities, and so he is becoming. All of these people are coming wealthy at the expense of um, of, of the American public. Uh, and so that's had spawned an entire industry of people who make a, a, a generous living off of the grievance and pain of people. Mm-hmm. You know, the Black Lives Matter founder, uh, they found that she has purchased $3.5 million worth of mansions in the California community. Um, and that's just another example of racial profiteers mm-hmm. that we call race hustlers. So this book and uh, 1776 Unites is such a, a direct response, as you say, to to the 1619 Project, to critical race theory, obviously at a, a, a very um, at a very significant moment in history. Mr. Woodson, what what has been your journey as as you have personally kind of thought about America's past of, of slavery and segregation? What has your journey been of processing well, through I was those things? Born in South Philadelphia, uh, and during the time during the Depression, during segregation, um, but we lived in a, t- a close knit blue collar neighborhood where all of the households had a man and a woman raising children. Uh, and uh, but my dad died when I was nine, leaving my mother with five children to raise. She had a fifth grade education and had to work hard. And so um, my dad moved us out of that neighborhood into uh, a a better place. And since my friends were a year older, I, uh, and they graduated before me. So I dropped out of high school, went into the military uh, where I served and was the greatest decision in my life. But I was stationed in the deep South. And when I took courses um, at, at, from the University of Miami, I could not. I had to take them on the base because of segregation. I could not attend campus, so I know what segregation is like. And afterwards, I got out of the military, worked full time, got an undergraduate degree from Cheney State University, and then a master's degree from University of Penn. And then I became active in the civil rights movement. Um, 
but became disenchanted with that movement when I realized that that when many of the people who sacrificed to a poor, just opening the doors of opportunity was not sufficient. They had to be prepared for the civil rights leadership has suddenly began to morph into a race grievance industry. And so I left the civil rights movement and, and from then until now worked on behalf of low-income people of all races. My personal goal and the goal of the Woodson Center is to de-racialize race and desegregate poverty. The biggest challenge we face in America is upward mobility for low-income people of all races and ethnicities. And there's where we should be uh, directing our time and attention and not uh, on race issues. It's also insulting for blacks to assume that we must have the rules, the standards lowered as an act of, of, of racial reconciliation. This has just been so insulting uh, to me personally and to our organization. And so we are trying to return America to the America of Dr. Martin Luther King, where we're judged by the content of our character and not the color of our skin. Mm. And I do, Mr. Woodson, just want to take a moment to thank you for the work that you have done at the Woodson Center over so many decades. I love the model that you all have because you all decided, all right, we're actually, we're going to go into those those struggling communities, those low-income communities, and we're going to look for the leaders. We're going to look for the organizations that are already there working on the ground. We're going to partner with them because they know what their community needs, and we're going to come alongside them and, and give them what, what they need and support the work that they're doing. And I think that's uh, – it sounds simple, but in many ways it's such a groundbreaking model because uh, it, it's very different from what we see the government often try and do and uh, what sometimes we'll see other organizations do. But I know uh, you have been involved in changing so, so many lives. So thank you for the work that you have done at the Woodson Center. Well, I, I thank you. And it's uh, we're being joined now. I mean, the, the very fact that the book sold out in just two weeks on Amazon. We sold about 15,000 books within a matter of a few weeks. That's Amazon did not anticipate, the publisher did not anticipate that response. Wow. And so they had to publish on demand for a month. Mm. And now they're resupplied. So we're very, very pleased at the receptivity on the part of the public for information that is inspiring and uh, supporting the fundamental values uh, and principles of this fine nation of ours. Mm. The very fact that people of color risking their lives to come to cross our borders, uh, and yet people who are here are, are promoting this false narrative that racism is in America's DNA. Yeah. We are talking with Bob Woodson, author of the book Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. Oh. Mr. Woodson, I know there's so many wonderful essays in the book. Like you say, the book sold out. Uh, people have just been snatching it off the shelves, virtual shelves. Uh, I know there's so many wonderful essays in the book, 
and I'm I'm sure it's very very hard to to pick a favorite. But do you have one that has personally really touched or or impacted you, or that speaks to you uh, in a really significant way? Yeah, the, the the one that I guess that I that I I favor is uh, well, actually there there are two of them. Uh, but the one that I enjoy reading is when one of our essayists looked at the the impact that slavery had on the family, and so he looked at six plantations, the records of six plantations, and um, to look what the state of the marriage was, and they found that 75 percent of those slave households had a man and a woman raising children. Some could legally marry others, but right after that, there was just a, uh, a, a, a lot of marriages occurred. And, and another example of resilience and perseverance against the odds, you document the fact that 75% of those slaves were illiterate, but yet Within 40 years, that 75% illiteracy rate shrunk to about 25. And when the Freedmen's Bureau sent aid south to teach blacks how to read, they reported that there's little that the government can do because the Sabbath churches, the churches on Saturdays, were doing a yeoman's job of teaching blacks how to read. And those family compositions, the black nuclear family of a man and a woman raising children, continue to prosper for a century up until 1965. Also that the poverty rate in the black community declined from 1940 to 1960 from 82% down to 32%. So there were, what I'm fascinated by our essays, it documents the fact that when whites were at their worst, blacks were at their best. Hmm. The other essays by John Sibley Butler that talks about in 1929 in the city of the Bronzeville section of Chicago, where blacks were redlined and segregated, they um, produced 731 black-owned businesses, 100 million in real estate assets, with an out-of-wedlock birth under 12%. So those are my two favorite essays, because it talks eloquently about, it documents evidence of resistance through perseverance, so then what happened to shift uh, you know now with so many uh, so many kind of impoverished areas across America and we see uh, you know income levels falling and obviously high rates of um, single African American mothers, what changed? What slavery could not do with a hundred years and Jim Crow could not defeat government policies from the 60s absolutely devastated those the black community urban renewal 
wipe out all of the commercial centers around the country, like the Greenwood section and the Black Wall Street in the 60s, when we went from a, a market economy to a social economy, when, when social policies in the 60s with the poverty programs, where they separated work from income, removed the stigma of welfare, and, act, and the government actively recruited blacks into the welfare system, uh, millions, according to Fred Siegel's book, The Future Once Happened Here, blacks began to flood into the welfare system. What they, the leftist social scientists predicted came true, and that is out-of-wedlock births with score, dropout work, drug addiction, criminal behavior, and all of these declines came in response to the poverty programs of the 60s, where black civil rights leaders migrated into becoming elected officials in these cities, and they were the managers and distributors of the $22 trillion in poverty programs, where 70 cents of every dollar went not to the poor, for those who serve poor, so we, the poor, we created a commodity out of poor people. And so that's why all of these, these combinations of, of, of actions and policies that were taken on the part of the government served to devastate the black family and those communities. And that's why we have the mess that we have today. So then what's your message in the book to those who read the book, to those who uh, visit 1776 Unites and look at the school curriculum, your many essays? What is the message that you want them to take about how we can move forward? The message in the book is that, that people are motivated to change and improve when they're presented with victories that are possible, not injuries to be avoided. And so the message of the book to, to America is if blacks could achieve these great things of creating rail, their own railroad, if we were able to build our own Wall Street, if we were able to uh, achieve in schools and reduce the income gap, if we were able to do these things in the past, then we need to apply these old values to a new vision. And the Woodson Centers, with this initiative, uh, uh, are using this because we're, we're pointing to, we have supported contemporary examples of communities being restored and, and from the inside out and the bottom up. We have supported those grassroots leaders that have the same attitude of resilience. And so we think we should build on these centers of moral and spiritual excellence and invest in those. That's what we must do. So the, the Woodson Center, I, we give examples of the Piney Wood School, 115 years old, a black boarding school in Mississippi that takes in families of, that are in crisis, children of families in crisis. 96% of these kids go on to college. It is a Christian boarding school that's mandatory chapel, mandatory work, and 
So what the Woodson Center is about is identifying these islands of moral and spiritual excellence that reflect the values of the past, and we must promote them and make sure that we propagate them throughout the country. Mm. And Mr. Woodson, you've been so faithful to do that throughout your career. I want to congratulate you on your recently announced retirement. We know that you're not you're not going away. As you say, you're going to continue writing and researching and investing in American communities. Um, but we really are truly thankful for the work that you have done at the Woodson Center. And we encourage all of our listeners, go to Amazon and get Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. Also visit 1776unites.com to read the many, many essays. You can download the curriculum for students there. Uh, and, of course, visit the Woodson Center website to learn about all their many initiatives and the work that they're doing across America. Mr. Woodson, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share with your listeners. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening. I'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Virginia Allen and Kate Trinko. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.